All right, good evening, everybody. Man, I wish everybody would get that quite that quickly all the time. Well, we're in Joshua chapter 9. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Bible. We're leaving off, or starting off right where we left off with Joshua, Joshua chapter 8 and the defeat of Ai after that terrible uh, sin from Achan. And we saw the restoration, and we saw them just get up and and go and obey the Lord. And now we're going to pick up here in chapter 9. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you and we praise you as you refresh us in in worship and the reading of your word. I I know, Lord, there are people here that are very tired. They're worn out. I know there are people here and people that are listening that are stressed. Uh, People that are just coming in here, Lord, and just needing a special word from you. And I pray that you would touch them this evening, Lord. I I pray that your spirit would be moving and that you would be interacting with us and molding us through your word and that you'd put it in the tablets of our heart. You'd write it in us, Lord, and refresh us with that living water that comes only from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 6, and we'll let the Bible be its own commentary As we jump in, and it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And so there's a lot to unpack here, these first six verses. We see that there's two different strategies in attacking Israel. Now, you would think, like, it's all going to be easy now. Defeated Jericho, defeated Ai, we made up, we made amends. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. And you may think the same thing in your Christian walk. You've had some victories. God's delivered you out of a few things. He's brought you here to Hilton Head to finally retire. Or he's brought you here. You're getting raised up. And everything's going to be easy. And then what do we see? The enemy is not going to quit. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, just come on in and take the rest of the country while you're at it. We see that the first strategy that is used is all of the enemies of Israel, Hittite, Amorite, Canaanite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. They all gather together, and those uh, tribes and peoples that were normally at war with each other are now unified against the nation of Israel. Never in the Bible does it say it's going to be easy. Jesus says his yoke is easy, but he doesn't say the world is going to take it easy. He doesn't say the enemy is going to take it easy. And, and until he returns and sets up the, the new Jerusalem in the thousand-year reign, it's going to be difficult. And there's always another battle to fight. So 
we see the first strategy is going to be a full-fledged frontal attack with overwhelming force. That's one strategy. But then we see a different strategy. We, we start to read about Gibeon. In verse 3, it picks up, but when the, inhib- the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had, what had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. So the Gibeonites are not going to use a full frontal attack. Sometimes the enemy will do that against you. What are they going to do? They're going to lie and cheat and manipulate. And they're going to use cunning, cunning tactics to get the nation of Israel to make a peace treaty with them, even though the Lord forbid them from doing so, because they're not to make any, any treaties with any of the Canaanite tribes. And that's what these different cities and city-states are, these different armies. We need to be very, very careful, because sometimes the enemy will come against you the frontal attack, but sometimes he will lie. He is the father of lies. He's excellent at it, where he changes your senses into thinking that something else is going on than is the actual reality. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Notice that they're very prepared. They're going to have bread set up. They're changing their clothes. They've come together. They have a strategy. Okay, so we're going to show up like this. We're going to look like this. And then when they ask this, you're going to say this. And we can't crack. We all have to be unified. The Gibeonites have to get their lies in order because if they got separated and questioned, the truth might come out. So they spend a lot of time on this. And so the nation of Israel has not only a full-fledged frontal assault coming against them, they also have this craftiness of the Gibeonites. And so let's see here in the scripture how this kind of plays out. Let's read verses 7 through 13. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Verse 12. This bread of ours we took hot for our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which are filled, were new, and see, they are torn. And these are our garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Sounds good. Doesn't it sound good? It's a good story. That's a good story. Except it's all lies. They took the oldest clothes they could out of the, the closet, you know, the stuff they wouldn't even give to Goodwill, and they put it all on. And they get the moldiest, ugliest, oldest bread they can get, and they put it in their sacks. And remember, they're all in unison. They're all telling this story. They're all nodding their heads. Oh, yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. And so they're telling Joshua that they had brand new sandals and brand new clothes and brand new bread. And since they've traveled so far of a journey, 
that has changed since then to the appearance that they are now. I, I want you to notice all of their senses are engaged. Taste this bread. Smell this food. See these clothes. Touch it. Feel it. All, all of the senses and all of the evidence is pointing that these people came from a far country. But that's not what it seems. Do you think that maybe there's things happening in your life right now that seem to be going one way, but they're actually something else? Where you have a perception that something is some way, and yet the enemy has it in an actuality completely different. Now, what, backing up, has made the Gibeonites to go through such a lavish display? Well, the Bible tells us here, verse 9 when they said they came from a very far country because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame. And, and then he lists miracle after miracle after miracle of all the things that God has done through the nation of Israel. They don't care about the Israelites. They don't, they're not scared of the Israelites. Who are they scared of? The Gibeonites are scared of God. The Gibeonites have figured out that if they go in the Alliance, the anti-Israel alliance on a full frontal attack, knowing who God is, that they're going to get destroyed. And so they make a different ploy, this ploy to come up with this lie and try and manipulate him. To do what? What aim were they looking for? At the end of verse 13, was it verse 13? I thought it was verse 13. They asked for a covenant, and these wineskins were filled with new wine. See, they were torn because they took provision, counsel. I got lost. Oh, there it is in verse 11. Excuse me. We are your servants now, therefore, make a covenant with us. That's what they want. So the manipulation of the Gibeonites to the nation of Israel is because they want Israel to make a promise. This is going to come up later. Make a promise that you're not going to attack us. All right, so we have, we have manipulation. We have the Israelites' full senses. Everything's telling them that this is real. Everything's telling them that this is the way to go. They're merciful people. They're good people. You have the Gibeonites who fear the Lord. They have a healthy fear of the Lord. But what do they do with that healthy fear of the Lord? Do they have right actions? No, they lie, they cheat, and they steal now because they're trying to get their way. They're worried. Now, all this is coming to a head. And let's read the next few verses, and then we're going to sit on it and dissect it. And that's verses 14 through 20. And we're going to stay there for a little while, camped out. Go back to chapter 9, verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Go ahead and underline that one for later. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that there were, they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of, the Israel, of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chepharah, Beroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Nothing new under the sun there. 
Verse 19, Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. Do you guys see what's going on here? These are honest politicians. You want to talk about a miracle in the Bible? We just found one. They made a promise and they're going to keep it even though everybody's against it and they're upset. Now, this is going to be important. We're going to talk about this for a minute. But first and foremost, notice they did not seek counsel of the Lord. How many problems in your life have you experienced because you didn't even ask God? But come on, it's an easy decision. Look at the bread. You can't eat it, it's so bad. Smell it, it smells nasty. Look at their sandals. Look at their jackets. Look at their animals. Look at them. They've obviously, this is such an easy slam dunk decision. I don't need to bother the Lord with this. I don't need to, he's a busy God. You know, he's doing stuff all across the planet. I'm not going to talk to him about this. And we see that it's going to cost him. Remember, the enemy is a liar. He invented it. Think about it. He invented lies. You know, the first time you picked up that cigarette, it's not so bad. They told me I was going to die. I don't have cancer yet. Must be okay. Then you started to like it. Then you had a pack of them. Next thing you know, 25 years later, the doctor's looking at you in the eye and telling you you got lung cancer. Well, it wasn't so bad when it started because you fell for the trap. Now, I have two. I'm not judging anyone. You fell in love with somebody. You fell in love with that person, and you said, till death do us part, you were so in love. And you thought that person was the, the best person ever on the planet. And for probably half of you here, for half of you here, it didn't work out. That person or that situation was not what it seemed. And there was separation. You see, nobody goes into a marriage and says, you know what, why don't we give this three good years? Then we'll get into a big fight, break up, and we'll hate each other for the rest of our lives. Does that sound good? I'm in. Let's do it. See, the perception, the perception of how things are going to be is not the reality. But I'm so in love. This is this is perfect. I don't need to ask the Lord if this is the spouse I should spend the rest of my life with. And, if, and we're not going to do it now, so don't get excited. But if I said, give me a show of hands, somebody who that happened to, it's going to be more than one. Now, you, this could be business. This could be your personal life. This could be your relationship with your parents if you're younger here. Th- this could be any situation where you think you have it under control. You think a relationship's going a certain way. And then, as they say, the rug is pulled out from under you. All in a sudden, the reveal, it's not what you thought. But the Bible is a lamp unto our feet. The Word of God is a compass that will direct us through the lies. And the Lord will reveal. The Bible is a revealer of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If we simply take counsel from God. I mean, if I, if I could say it sarcastically, it's not like he's the all-knowing God of the universe who nothing can be hidden from, where all wisdom and, found, all wisdom and knowledge comes forth. Of 
course all those things are true. Shouldn't we be asking him? And if you got the enemy lying in your ear telling you, well, he's not interested in that. That's too small for him. Then you're not, guess what? Reading the book. Because he tells us to come boldly to the throne room of God in the book of Hebrews. Come to him. Make your petitions. Make your praises and your prayers. He says, it says, pray without ceasing. And many of us are going, I'll pick the good prayers. I'll pray them in the right time because I don't want to waste his time. If he is the Lord, then do what he says. And he says, pray without ceasing. All right, well, um, that's the conviction for us. But now what's going on here? They have been tricked. Now, why is this such a big deal? First of all, for me personally, in my flesh, if I find out these bunch of liars lied to my face like that, does that mean I'm going to keep my word? No, they lied to me first. I'm going to, I'm going to burn their towns down. I did it to everybody else. But no. No, there's something biblical going on here that is true of many cultures that has been lost in our 21st century American culture. And that is keeping your word is important to God. Keeping your word is important to God. And there was a time in this country that if you called someone a liar, you were going to go out back and shoot each other. You were going to go into a sword fight because you dishonored that person. A person's honor and word were held in such high regard that there are people buried in a cemetery in Savannah down the road at the dueling cemetery. Uh, Imagine your word being so important that you are willing to die for it. And it's true of these politicians. Now, why is it such a big deal? You see, these towns... These towns that are inhabited by these people that they made a covenant with, they're promised to the people of the nation of Israel. That's somebody's home. That's somebody's farm. That's a tribe's legacy. And the politicians gave it away because they thought they could make an easy decision. And so, rightfully so, it says that all of the congregation complained against the rulers. Hey, didn't God promise us all this land? Didn't he tell us to come in here and wipe out all these people? Didn't he tell us that we're not to make any peace treaties with any of the Canaanite tribes? And we're not getting the land. We're not wiping out the people. And we just made a peace treaty with the Canaanite tribes. What's what's going on here? They got robbed. They were manipulated and they were robbed because they didn't seek the truth of God. And me, as a kind of fix it, make it happen kind of mentality, I'm like, oh, I could fix this right now. Here comes the swords. Let's fix this. But something crazy happens here. Something crazy. They say, we have sworn, verse 19, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath of which we swore to them. It used to be said, two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. And so they're going to keep their word. How important is this to God? Well, in Psalm 15, verses 2 through 4, it says, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue. Teenagers, you can, write, you can just go ahead and highlight that one. Nor does evil to his neighbor. 
nor does he take up reproach against a friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means to God, if we make a promise and we find out that promise is not in our favor, no matter what, you keep it. You tell somebody you're going to work for the summer, you work for the summer. You tell somebody, I'm going to be with you for richer or for poor and sickness and health until death do us part. What's the escape clause there? Death. I tell my wife all the time, only one of us is making it out of this alive. She doesn't think it's so funny. She always says you first. (laughs) But you make an oath. You're making a promise. And when you shook somebody's hand, that used to be a contract in this country. It was unbreakable. The judge would say, did you give your word? And you wouldn't dare lie because you're not a liar. Being honest is important to God. And if it's important to God as Christians, it is important to us. Let it not be said that Christians are liars. Let it not be said that Christians will lie for their own gain. Well, if I cheat a little bit on my taxes, I get a little bit more money. Okay, did God give you permission to do that? Oh, that's all right. Everybody does it. But would Jesus do it? You represent him. You carry his name. Oh, I'm just going to let my clock ride at the office for another 15, 20 minutes. You know, I'm just going to take it easy a little bit while I'm on the clock. You're, You're thieving. You're lying. You're telling your boss that you're getting paid a wage and you're not doing the work. Ah, well, he doesn't care. He says it's okay. She says it's okay. Yeah, but you don't work for them. You work for God. And we're to do all things as unto the Lord. And our honesty and our integrity matters. And how we represent Christ matters. And so the nation of Israel, kudos here. They made a terrible mistake. It's going to cost them, but they're going to keep their word no matter what. Have you ever had to keep your word to keep your honor? Have you ever had to keep your word to your own hurt, to your own detriment? It stinks, and it hurts. I'll tell you one one small story. When I was in high school, at Cabrillo High School, I was on the soccer team. There was a rule on the soccer team that you could not play that sport anywhere else outside of, the te- of that uh, season. So if you were in the high school soccer season, you couldn't play on another traveling team. The issue is that the majority of the really good players, like myself, see, you guys get it now. You get my sense of humor. And then Megan's twice mad at me now. It was a joke, y'all. We all played. Everyone did. On all the, on all the teams, you all, we all did. We all played in men's leagues. We all played in club t- teams. And we were on the eve of the crosstown rivalry, the biggest game. I'm a senior in high school. And this game, if we won this game, we would go into the CIF playoffs. And what does the other team do? The coach calls the athletic director of my high school, and says that me and the other captain on the team were playing at at a soccer game outside, breaking the rules of our division. And so uh, my coach calls me in. 
He calls me. He calls straight out of class. Me and the other captain calls us in. Is this true? The other guy's like, oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, me, I'm not that smart. So I said, yeah, you know, we do. Everybody else does it. I mean, what's the big deal? We're all doing it. And he just kind of sighs, kind of shakes his head. And he goes, what, so what do you expect me to do with this? What do, you, what do you expect me to do? I'm like, nothing. What's the problem? And he looks at me and he goes, dead in the eyes. He looks at me and he goes, I wasn't raised that way. And so he went to the athletic director. He told him, yep, he said that he did it. He said that. I got a three-game suspension. It was an internal discipline. The other guys from the other team, they played. Because to a man, they all lied. They all said it didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. And we lost that game. I sat on the bench my senior year on the most important game. Do you think that I was happy with my coach? All he had to do was nothing. All he had to do was say nothing. We would have been on that field. We would have won that game. We would have been in the championship. We would have been in the playoffs. And my senior year with that nice big Campton's armband. But he was honest to his own detriment and to the detriment of the entire team. And it was my actions that caused that, not his. Not his, but I was upset with him until I started following the Lord and I rededicated my life to the Lord. And then now, because that man made that decision in my life that cost me so much, I have never forgotten it. And here it is. What is this, like 15, 16, 17 years later? And I'm telling the story about integrity and how it costs. And it's paying dividends. So the same thing is true of us. What lessons are you teaching your children? What lessons are you teaching your family? What lessons are we teaching this church? What lessons is this church, by the grace of God, showing to the community about integrity, about keeping your word, about representing Jesus Christ over everything? Incredible. Uh, Side note, no one was more thrilled than me when that coach became a believer a couple of years later and started following the Lord. What does that also tell you? He made that decision when he was not walking with the Lord. Hmm. Now, now, what is the Lord going to do with these lying Gibeonites? I mean, what a bunch of bums. Liars. I mean, just go die like the rest of everybody else. What's your problem? Well, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So let's read verses 21 through 27. It says, And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord 
in the place which he would choose even to this day. I mean, this is terrible. Uh, the Gibeonites, they go to Joshua. Joshua says, you know, what are we going to do with these guys? The nation of Israel says, you know what? Um, they lied to us. We're going to put them in, our, our, in their place. They're going to be our slaves. They're going to be woodcutters. They're going to carry our water. They're going to be the lowest servants. We'll make them work in the tabernacle. They can be a part of the offering, just getting the wood ready. And how do the Gibeonites react with this? You can't tell us what to do. How dare you do that to us? No, they said, because we know that your God is God. He is the Lord. And he told Moses that this land is yours. So we're happy with the deal. No, we'll serve. We're happy. We will gladly be your servants, knowing who your God is. Do with us as seems good and right to do to us, it says. I wish that the servants of the Lord had the same attitude. But does it, to serve in the house of God, just to be alive and be in this, in this holy land with the true and living God, we'll do it. We're happy with it. It's done deal. Mission accomplished, they think. And so they're going to be the lowest servants of the Lord. And that's a song we used to sing. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. It is better to be a servant in the house of God than a ruler of this world. It is better to be the lowest position with Christ than it is to be in the highest position of this planet. But we don't have that mentality, do we? How dare you tell me what to do? How Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how long I've been here? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know how smart I am, how old I am, how rich I am, how much experience I have? Okay, go grab a mop and go mop the bathroom floor. And I've told that story uh, a lot of times. The first time I ever served in a church was cleaning the nasty vinyl floors that had been there since the 1980s in our church on my hands and knees, scraping it. And I was so happy because I just got saved and I just wanted to serve to God. I just wanted to be a part of this thing. That was the first time I ever served. And I was, I was this is what we say in California, I was so stoked. I did it. I was happy. And you know, it smelled like urine. And, and it smelled like dirty feet. And it smelled like, 19, you know, that 18, 1980s veneer. And they had that plastic panel board, the wooden panel boards on the side, too. I did not care. Because it's better to be a servant of God than anything else. Because I had joy in my heart. I was serving God. I was saved. I had figured, the Lord had revealed to me the truth. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've been serving ever since. Serving ever since. Now, what about the Gibeonites who had become servants, who humbled themselves and served in the tabernacle? And you maybe, if you're a Bible student, you, you're like, man, Gibeon, that kind of sounds familiar. Like, what's going on with them? Gibeon becomes a priestly city. And the Ark of the Covenant stays in Gibeon in the days of David and Solomon. That's in the First Chronicles. So they go from being the servants to being the stewards. And they become known for serving the Lord. They're not from Israel. They're not of the tribes. One of David's mighty men, 1 Chronicles, was a Gibeonite. God appeared and spoke to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3 in Gibeon. And the Gibeonites were among those who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem with Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 7. And the prophets Hananiah 
are like Hananiah, they came out of Gibeon. That's Jeremiah chapter 28. So these people, they started off with lies coming from outside the tribe, and then the Lord brings them back, just like a certain Moabite woman that we know about, and integrates them into the nation of Israel and redeems them. I'm a Gibeonite, spiritually, a Gentile, born out of due time, a liar, a manipulator. I already confessed to you guys at once, cheating the system, called out for it. And then I discovered what you discovered, what the Gibeonites discovered. The Lord is real. He is on the throne. He does whatever he pleases. He knows all things. Man, it is amazing just to serve him. I, like a few other people in here, I've been fired from ministries. I've been put in my place. I've been given the talking to. I've taught incorrectly from the scriptures and been rebuked privately. I've received instruction and correction and reproof. And every single time, I just said, yes, sir. And I felt terrible. You feel When you love the Lord and you get corrected, you feel like dirt for months. And the enemy is just like there, like, yeah, I told you, told you, told you, told you. But you just be like the Gibeonites. I don't care. I, I don't care. I'll carry a bucket. I'll wash the windows. I'll vacuum the floor. Oh, you let me here? Okay, great. I'll just straighten the chairs. If that's my job, I'll do it as unto the Lord. I don't care. I'm just happy to be filled with the Holy Spirit and serving the king. 